who had been paralyzed for 38 years. So the story is, one Sabbath day, Jesus approached a pool in Jerusalem called Bethesda. And around this pool was gathered a crowd of people. It says a multitude of people. And they were folks who were afflicted with all manner of infirmities. There were folks who were blind and people who were paralyzed and unable to, to walk and to care for themselves. And uh, why were they there? Why were they at this particular pool in Jerusalem? All these folks who were uh, infirm? Well, some of the uh, old Greek manuscripts uh, tell us that people believed that the pool of Bethesda had healing power and that an angel would come and trouble the water, stir it up, and while doing that, the first person to make it into the water could receive a healing. That's why when Jesus says, do you want to be healed? The man's reply is, um, yeah, but, oh, he didn't say yes, but that's implied. He says, I can't because there's no one to take me and bring me to the water. Well, we know that Jesus is the true water of life. The living water that if you drink, you no longer thirst. So Jesus heals this man. He restores his ability to stand and to walk. After 38 years, I was thinking, uh, just yesterday I was thinking about 38 years, how long that is. And um, So who was president 38 years ago? And I think gasoline cost about 90 cents a gallon. Uh, stuff like that. It kind of puts it into perspective. This man who'd been perhaps coming to this pool for that long a length of time, could stand up. He picked up his bed or his mat, and he walked. Later on, he gets in trouble for carrying his mat on the Sabbath, and he says, well, Jesus healed me and told me to do this, and then they go after Jesus, the Pharisees do. That's later in this chapter, which is not part of our reading. These healing stories in the Gospels... There's a lot of them where Jesus heals a blind person or, or a lame person. When Jesus heals these folks, the details and the particulars might be different in the specific instances, but they all have one thing in common. They're not superstitious tales of sort of a result of a pre-modern society who didn't understand disease and medicine. Jesus was not some sorcerer performing tricks to gain attention for himself. No, the, the healing stories of Jesus serve a gospel purpose. For they reveal that in Jesus Christ, the Creator, God is in the flesh, visiting His creation and starting a new creation, a recreation. The miracles in the Gospels are often called signs, and signs are not ultimately things that, that are focused on upon themselves. They point to something. And the chief importance lies in what they point to. And what do the healings of Jesus point to? 
They tell us that with Jesus, something new is happening in the world. The healings of Jesus, I don't believe, are, they're, they're not recorded so that we would, all of us, pray to God and, and look and expect miraculous healings ourselves in the here and now. It's not that God cannot do miracles today, nor that He does not do miracles, but some Christians are misguided when they place their focus upon the miraculous and teach people to expect specific miracles if they have enough faith. I'm reading a book now, a history book called Blessed, and it's about this uh, so-called prosperity gospel in North America, and it's deeply damaging teachings. The miracles of Jesus serve a gospel purpose, a particular purpose. These events are recorded to show us, I contend, that the world's captivity and bondage to death and decay, and sickness, and brokenness is finally over. It's coming to an end. The miracles of Jesus tell us that a new era has dawned, where things that are wrong in the world will be made right, where people will be reconciled to God and one another, where love will prevail. And this new era with Jesus... This new creation is not just sort of a spiritual experience or a philosophy. No, our very bodies are going to be involved. Our very bodies will be changed and restored and our minds and our hearts and recreated and glorified. The new world will not be some wispy, cloudy experience where we all just float in the sky. It's much more earthy and tangible and, and, and physical than that, material. The Son of God did not become flesh and enter the world in order to help us escape creation, but in order to redeem creation through death and resurrection. Sin has so corrupted the world including our very selves, our, our minds, our motives, our hearts, our wills, and our bodies, all of us, that we are subject to things like disease and madness and injury and decay and addiction in a way that Adam and Eve originally were not. The famous fall into sin in Genesis 3 has plunged the world into death. All of us are going to be sick and dependent at some time in our lives, maybe many times in our lives. And unless the Lord returns sooner, we will all taste death. But the message here is that Jesus is the catalyst for rebirth. Beginning with the incarnation, the creation itself is being renewed and remade. That's why St. Paul could say at the pinnacle of his chief epistle, Romans, chapter 8, that the creation itself is groaning as in childbirth, awaiting its redemption. He says, and I'll just quote a little bit, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage and obtain, uh, bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And that applies to you and to me 
just as much. Our salvation involves the whole person, the whole you, not just your heart, not just your mind or your spirit or your soul, but your whole being will be glorified and this seed has already been planted. As an illustration, I'm not going to tell you a story, but I'm going to allude to a story that you probably already know. Uh, it's the uh, famous children's story written by C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Now, if you don't know the story or if it's been a long time, I'll give you the pertinent facts. It's kind of an extended Christian parable told as a child's fantasy story. Uh, I say child's fantasy, but it's quite edifying for adult reading as well. The character in the story, the central character who represents, symbolizes Jesus Christ, is a lion, a great and mighty lion named Aslan. And at the beginning of the story, and the first book, there's seven novels in all, and at the beginning of the story, the world of Narnia is completely frozen over. Everything's dead. It's winter, the dead of winter. Now, here in Southern California, I'm from the Midwest. And here in Southern California, this illustration loses a little bit of its punch. But, you know, I lived in Chicago before I came here, and, you know, it really is the windy city, and it gets cold there. And winter, you experience the chill in your, in your core, no matter how well bundled up you are. So the story is that the world is frozen and dead and ruled over by this uh, wicked witch, but the people, the people that populate Narnia say, they have a saying, Aslan is coming. And they say it a long time, and eventually, it's true. It happens. The lion appears. He comes to Narnia. And when, when he appears, when he approaches, things begin to thaw out. Branches begin to drip with water, and you can see flowers and, and life bursting through the icy soil. When Aslan comes, it's spring. My friends, when Jesus is present, death is on the retreat. When Jesus is present, the devil has to shut up. When Jesus is present, there is forgiveness and mercy and life and light and joy and happiness and health. This is why we have the Eucharist here every Lord's Day, incidentally. Some people think that the sacrament is just a nice add-on that you have once in a while, but we know that when we eat and drink, we commune with Christ himself in his body and blood we participate in the very life of God not in some abstract way but truly and in the flesh by our eating and drinking the scripture says that life is in the blood and we have the blood of Christ which cleanses us from all sin in our very bodies and he will raise us up on the last day Saint Ignatius of Antioch was a bishop and martyr in the early 2nd century, and he said that the Eucharist is the medicine of immortality. It is the antidote to death. Jesus brings life. 
The Son of God took your sins and my sins and our failures and our rebellion and He took them upon Himself and became, He who was innocent became cursed so that He who is righteous could become unrighteous so that we who are unrighteous would become righteous in the eyes of God and in fact. He died to reconcile us to the Father. And it was done. And His blood not only cleanses us from all sin, but His resurrection, we are still in the Easter season, in fact, every Sunday is an Easter. Every day for the Christian is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The life of God shared with humans. Our Bethesda is right here. And Jesus is making Himself present to heal and to restore so that on the last day we can arise and, and walk. In Jesus' name, Amen.